Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. Over the last few months, we brought some incredible individuals. And today we have a very, very interesting lady, Esther Martinez. Esther is from Spain, Barcelona, and she's chosen to make India her home. That's right. Uh, Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Esther is a postgraduate in human resources management from EADA Spain. She came to do her MBA at the Indian School of Business. She worked for Hewlett Packard and TCS. And then she founded People Matters, which recently hosted Asia's largest HR conference. In fact, I had the opportunity of speaking at the conference and I've never seen so many HR people <laughs> in my life. Thank you. Um, and uh, Esther is a TEDx speaker. So Esther, talk to us about your life as a professional manager before we come to People Matters. Sure. So, uh, I think as an entrepreneur, when I reflect about my life as a professional manager, it looks like really, truly my past life. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think entrepreneurship changes a lot of things uh, in one's life and we'll talk about it a bit later. Yeah. Uh, but I think as a professional manager, when I reflect about who I was and you know what were my, um, uh, my learnings at that stage, I think I was always a person who, um, who wanted to adapt uh, who wanted to contribute. Uh, I've always been blessed to work in organizations that were very nurturing, mm -hmm. uh, whether when I worked in, in Manpower as a recruiter, uh, when I worked in Hewlett-Packard as part of the HR team, and then I had the privilege to work in TCS across mm -hmm. difficult, different geographies. So I've, I've always had fantastic managers who have uh, invested in me, who have given me a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Uh, but my pre uh, uh, entrepreneurship phase was all individual contributor. I really never had the opportunity to have a team or or manage uh, a large portfolio. It was always very, very specialized roles, whether it's recruitment or ODE or compensation. Um, so it was always really about detail orientation and impact and result. Mm -hmm. That was my pre-entrepreneurship uh, stage. Uh, but before I get into another, any other question, I yeah. must ask you. Yeah. Uh, what made you select Indian School of Business for your yeah. MBA? And then how did you decide to come to India to live here? So the, uh, for me, uh, MBA was a life investment. Mm -hmm. I never looked at an MBA. I did my MBA when I had already worked for seven, eight years. And I was really looking at experiences. Just beyond what you're going to learn in books. I was really looking about how do I get exposed to more things and new things. Uh, so one MBA was a must for me. Uh, I had thought at that time that I will grow in the in the stream of HR. So I thought from from a HR manager in Spain, how do I grow into a regional role? How do I grow in the into a global role? So for that, I realized that I had to complement my HR education with business education, and mm -hmm. that will really help me be able to to up the ladder okay. from career perspective. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, I wanted to do an English speaking course, again, with the thought process that I wanted to move into global roles. So it had to be English speaking mm -hmm. course. So I, I uh, kind of took away Europe that way. So I was really left with uh, uh, UK, US, uh, some parts of Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I had traveled a lot when I was young. I had traveled to North America, traveled to uh, London many times. Mm -hmm. So I really thought that, you know, what am I going to get over and above my MBA experience? Yeah. And then I started to look at Singapore, Australia. Then I realized, well, I've never been to Singapore before at that time. Mm -hmm. But I thought it won't be that different from my Europe, mm -hmm. US experience because it's a very advanced yeah. economy anyway. Same as 
Australia. So somewhere India just popped. Amazing. And when it popped, I had the privilege to find ISB. It was just got funded at that, uh, founded at that time in 2011, 2012. Sorry, 2001, 2002, apologies. And, and it was a Wharton Kellogg program. Um, it was a new program. And I thought that's really kind of all aligning. And I came to India to visit the school before applying. And I just fantastic. was enamored. I thought this is... Yes, it's a fantastic school. In fact... You'll be happy to know that next week we have Pramod Sinha. Oh, wow. Who's, who's one of the founders Wonderful. of uh, ISP. Yes, of course. He's I coming in and uh, speaking on our podcast. With Very us. nice. It will be fantastic. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, from a professional manager to an entrepreneur, why did you decide to make this transition? So I was very happy, contented with my job. I think different entrepreneurs have different journeys. Uh, some people are born entrepreneurs and just like I had this eagerness to do something on my own. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't me. I was really happy with my job. I, I was really thinking that I was contributing and I had a tremendous time. Uh, I, I had the privilege to be married to one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my husband was always the person who keep asking the question about, you know, what else are you going to do? You know, how are you going to move to the next level what's your aspiration what do you want to do what's your purpose kind of conversations and I found those conversations very uncomfortable because you know you're happy with your job yep. and you do your nine to seven and you know you have your weekends and you just keep going with life and years pass by but I had this person next to me asking that question uh, for over five years mm-hmm. saying you know what else what else what else and very he's a very adventurous okay. person so I think a lot to be blamed is to him. <laughs> yes. To keep asking that question about, okay, what else? What else? What, what is really what will bring mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Uh, fulfillment? Okay. Um, so I think in 2009 is when I somehow was open to that question. And I started to say, okay, let me think about it. You know, so from, from not wanting to even talk about it, mm-hmm. to realize that, okay, what's the harm on being open to that question? Correct. Right? And then let's see where that takes us. Um, so somewhere then I realized that, okay, why not? I think entrepreneurship had uh, knocked my door in different stages and had always not allowed that to be open. Mm. Maybe it's a bit of uh, courage, confidence, uh, fear of failure, and content, right? So it's a combination of all of these. So in 2009 is when I realized, why not? Uh, we were in Europe at that time. And my husband had completely taken a decision that he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And we were going to move back to India at that time. And, and then I thought, okay, why not? What's the worst that can happen was the best question for me. When I was able to face that question that what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I don't succeed. And then I go back to my boss at TCS and say, would you take me back? Sure. The answer in my mind was 100% they will take me back. They will not only take me back, they'll probably appreciate the experience that yeah. Yeah. I can bring with that failure. So it was very easy in my mind. I don't know. Suddenly I felt that I'm not scared anymore. And I started the journey of looking, okay, now that I've decided I want to become an entrepreneur, what all I could do. So at that time, 2009, there were so many opportunities in India, you know, from online furniture to organic food, uh, baby clothing, you name it. And at that time, my son was only two uh, before our daughter was born. And so I had all these ideas and I did a lot of business plans and you know, market analysis and what you name it. And then at some point I realized that what is it that I really 
know what is it that I'm passionate about. And then it really went back to HR. Okay. And whatever six months, nine months of analysis I had done, I kind of... And, and, and that's how people matter started. That's how people matter started. Okay. Very interesting. You know, I've uh, uh, interacted with you at your conference. I've read a lot about you. You know, you built a very, very outstanding uh, organization. Um, you know, you see it as a platform for talent management and leadership for the C-suite audience. Talk to us a little bit about what you do. So People Matters is a, it's a community. Now, from the vision perspective, what we're trying to do is advance the conversation and the impact that people and work has to mm-hmm. business. I think for many years, we've heard boards and CEOs talking about people being the most important asset in the organization. I think somewhere it's becoming actually true. Uh, The reality is that there is a disruption uh, in the business environment and organizations are really, really now looking at how do I make my organization hyper-productive? Productivity is a passive. How do I make my organization hyper-productive? How do we become more hyper-innovative? Because this disruption is not coming from within my industry, but it's coming from all over. All over. Yeah. And how do I become more hyper-collaborative? How do I decentralize decision-making? How do I enable people to collaborate with each other and really be more agile in nature? Mm-hmm. So my realization is that most of the business problems actually stem into a people problem somewhere. So it's either a leadership alignment problem or it's a structure problem or it's an unlocking potential problem. So people matters endeavor is really to bridge the gap between what business and HR is focusing on people to really what should be they focusing on and how can they anticipate the needs of the organization and aligning their people strategy to be able to execute that. I think there are different maturity levels, uh, but I think it's a perfect storm. We've started to see many, many more business leaders coming to our community, our forums, our roundtables. Because the reality is that we really need to figure out the people piece of our business. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, when I started working in 1979 with ITC, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was no function called human resources. There you are. It was the personnel function. There you are. So we had a personnel manager, we had an industrial relations manager, and now you've got CHROs. So, you know, the, uh, the HR head is now a C suite manager That's right. and a very trusted. Uh, member of the CEO's team. That's right. What has what has started to change? I think that the realization that from leap service to actually realizing that listen, the people piece is not a HR problem. The people piece is a business opportunity. Correct. I think that's what has pushed uh, CEOs to really look for very talented HR professionals, and that's also pushing HR to really up their game. Yeah. Because that gap is still, I think, still to be bridged. So, as a platform that you are building, yeah. um, you know, um, what really went into building this uh, organization? You said you started in India. Yes. Um, when I came to your Tech HR conference, I think you must have had nationalities from every country right. in Asia, certainly. That's right. That's right. So, what has gone into you know building it from? Esther Martinez alone yeah. Yeah. into such a major entity. Yeah. What kind of challenges did you face? Yeah. Okay, that's a lot of questions in one question. So let me <laughs> see what I can. I think the, the journey has been a discovery journey. 
um, I think as a leader, I'm somebody who uh, has a very big ambition, but I'm a very practical person as well. So I think from, you know, we started as a print publication, uh, we then moved into uh, conferences, we had the opportunity and the privilege to get funded in 2012. For us, that's a big, that was a big achievement sure. because uh, when we started in 2009, a lot of very well-renowned uh, Indian entrepreneurs, you know, looked at me and said, you're a very passionate person and, you know, I really wish you well, but media, HR, 2009, you know, it's probably the wrong time to start a media business, number one. And number two, HR is too niche. You're set to fail. So that's really our starting point of the journey. I hope they've all eaten their words. Uh, no, I, I'm sure they'll be really happy to see that success. I think they were very well wisher. Sure, sure. And I think it's beautiful when people can tell you what all could go wrong because that's an opportunity to say, okay, then how do I take that input and how do I build a market uh, differently? So I, I think it really helped me even those mm -hmm. those not so inspiring uh, messages. So for us, the journey has been one step at a time. And I, I love this analogy of driving in the night. Mm -hmm. And I share that with my team a lot. When you drive in the night, you can only see as much as you can see. But you know you're going from A to B. Right, you're driving, you're, you're leaving Delhi, it's night, you're going to Jaipur, let us say. You know you're going to Jaipur, but you can only see whatever 10 meters, 15 meters, right? So, as you keep driving, you see the next 10 meters. So, I think the first phase of People Matters has been let us see the next 10 meters and let's keep going. I think phase two for People Matters is now our lights have become stronger, so we can see more than 20. 10 meters yeah, yeah. We can now see maybe 50 meters or 100 meters. And we have that level of courage and that risk appetite to say, you know, we've driven in the night enough, so we can see more. And whatever we can't see, we can kind of create some anticipation that these are the things that can go wrong and these are things that can go right. So it's been a journey of discovery and a journey of building confidence. Uh, the shift from India to Asia uh, was a journey of identifying our playbook, identifying what works for us as a business, what's scalable, yeah. uh, what brings top line, what makes it profitable. Mm -hmm. And that's really what helped us being very successful in our expansion to outside of India. Amazing. Amazing. I love your analogy of the headlight, you know, from 10 to 15 yeah. meters to 50 to 100. Yeah. It really helps. It yeah, helps a lot the of team startups, as well. Yeah. And a lot of startups should learn from that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, you know, you are aggregating content in strategy, recruitment, performance, culture, tech and life. Yeah. Why these sectors and why these specialities? The way we organize our content, um, I think there are four or five main areas. So one is the business side, which is where all our strategic content, there is where we're trying to bridge the gap between what's happening in the digital world, what's happening in the business context, and how is that affecting people and work. Okay. So that's one big area from content perspective. The second big area at the end of the day, we are an HR community. So we need to upskill our functional layers of HR. So all our recruitment, learning, complement, these are all our functional um, sections, whether we look at it in content in the magazine or in the digital platforms, but also in our events as well. Uh, the third layer is the whole experience layer, which to me is two sides of the same coin. As an HR professional, I'm responsible to two stakeholders. One is how do I align myself to business? And then how do I make sure that I unlock potential of everyone 
in the organization. So the, the third part is really the experience. Wow. And the fourth part, which we started to invest very heavily, is on the research on how new technologies are affecting HR. So what will blockchain mean to recruitment, for example? Or what is AI and automation doing to take away all the administrative and non-value added work and helping HR to be more consultative in nature? So that's our fourth area of content, which is new emerging technologies, educating and informing the community to get ready and anticipate and get ready for the future roles. Amazing. I mean, I think you're really changing the whole perception of the HR game. I wish. We are in that journey. That's amazing. Good luck and more power to you. Thank you. Um, But tell me, uh, you know, you spoke about blockchain and you spoke about uh, all the new technologies happening. How do you see the role of the human resources manager changing? It will completely transform. I think HR as a function uh, has been a lagger of technology implementation. The consequence of that is there is a huge opportunity. Uh, the, the threat on that is that the shift will be a lot faster than what we think. So if you really look at the pyramid of HR today, majority of the HR roles are sitting today in the administrative HR. What you uh, jokingly spoke about ITC in personnel, there is a lot of personnel under the function of people in HR. But has the role really changed between what ITC used to call personnel and what we call HR today? It's arguable, but it's arguable. I think in some industries, yes, when it comes to maybe uh, technology, industry, uh, probably FMCG, uh, probably, uh, you know, pharma to some extent, because either regulation or uh, export-driven econ- uh, sectors have pushed the people function to have to evolve. But if you look at the majority of other industries, while they may still call themselves HR, we're still doing personal. You're right. And, you know, in some of the more traditional companies, Automation really means automation of payroll. That's right. That's right. And automation and of leaves. Yeah. And, and you're talking of a very, very significant That's leap right. forward. That's right. So it's a huge threat. Uh, I always, as an entrepreneur, I look at every threat as an opportunity. I think for those HR professionals who are listening to our show today, it's a huge opportunity. Now, do you want to be at the front of that race? Uh you have that opportunity. Regardless of your age, regardless of your seniority level, mm-hmm. there is a op- huge opportunity for you to turn around uh, and actually start truly becoming more strategic. Then I don't think there's anything for you to fear about. I agree. And interestingly, I mean, you know, the HR uh, people are really well qualified. That's right. Um, you know, I've often wondered, they are so highly qualified, MBAs, uh, right. great training, and yet uh, they're not being able to implement all the great stuff they've learned. The courage mindset shift we have to build. And I can relate to it because yeah. I was an HR professional for all my yeah. career. Yeah, I agree. And, and that mindset was what was stopping me from being an entrepreneur. Maybe I didn't have to become an entrepreneur. Maybe I could have actually become more entrepreneurial in my role. When I look back today, very candidly, and I always used to feel that I'm an outstanding HR professional. Now that I'm a CEO and I look at myself and I self-assess myself on how much impact I had as an HR manager, I think I could have done way better. I think I I used to spend a lot of my time taking care of my own KRAs. 
and saying, okay, my business leaders need to do goal setting. My job is to make sure that everyone is in a green light, but whether those goals are meaningful to people, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Whether, uh, you know, I have this KRA of a step level meetings need to happen, mm-hmm. at least 60% of people need to have step. What happens in those conversations? Mm-hmm. That's not my that's problem. True. That's true. So I think that mindset of looking at HR KRAs need to go away. Right. It's not about HR KRAs, yeah. it's about business KRAs. Are meaningful conversations truly happening? Are goals truly helping people to understand what they are contributing? Is it giving them line of sight or not? That's my job as an HR manager, not whether it's happening in the system or not. And I also find coaching yeah. is catching on in India now. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of uh, it's HR needed. people. Yeah, it's it's needed. It's, my only worry I have with coaching is that without a business context, See, of course, I understand a coach is not somebody who provides solutions. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who just enables yeah. conversations. But I think if you have a business context, absolutely. So that I would really encourage everyone in HR to say, go and do a stint in sales. Yeah. Go and pick up a project in finance, over and above your job. Nobody will stop you. If you right. go to your CEO and say, you know what, there is this, uh, you know, this sales team in the east of India is struggling. Can I go and? Mm-hmm become a sales manager for six months. I don't think a CEO will ever stop you. They will not, but I think <laughs> it needs a mindset change for the HR person. I know, right. but it will do, it will really be a transformational yeah. opportunity. I agree. I agree. So moving on, you know, you've had uh, amazing success with your startup, if I could call yes. People Matter a startup. Yes. Now, of course, it's a very no, still successful, a big company. No, no, we still are startup. And uh, you meet so many people in India and overseas who are going into startups. What are some of the basic mistakes startup entrepreneurs make? So I can't generalize. I can probably share the mistakes I've made. Sure. Um, because I think everyone's journey is very determined on uh, your own personality and where you come from. Correct. So I think that's maybe one thing that you need to be very about. So, so really knowing yourself is probably one of the best investments you can do mm-hmm. because you're likely to make mistakes around your weak areas or about your blind spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, the biggest mistake was um, when we got funded in 2012. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're always bootstrapped. So when you get access to capital, you think that, oh, now all my problems will be solved so forever. True. Right? And you think that by throwing money to a problem, the problem will get solved. Right. Whether that's um, in marketing, whether that's in hiring more senior people, whether that's in, uh, you know, uh, so so you start actually thinking less about what could potentially be the solution. And you start thinking that just by, you know, hiring a senior person, yep. you know, my, you know, editorial problem will get solved yep. or my, uh, you know, uh, production, you know, issues will get solved. I think that was my biggest mistake. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing you're saying this because I had the same experience. I mean, raised a lot of money. And then before you know it, you've run through that money. And I've met so many entrepreneurs. You know, they run a very tight ship till they get the money. And when the money comes, it gets spent very fast. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing, um, we can't learn from each other, unfortunately. So if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're listening to this show, you will probably acknowledge that Correct. here there are two entrepreneurs who have made that mistake, Correct. and we know many of them. Yes. But when your time comes, 
you'd run the gauntlet yourself. You will probably do the same mistake. So if Absolutely. you can remember this and make a post-it and leave it somewhere that you can see, yeah. and you're a smarter one than I was, maybe you can. I agree. I agree. That's the biggest. Hiding is, for me, the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. If you hire people thinking that, that will, your problems will go away, you hire people somewhere knowing somewhere that I'm not sure, that will be one of the biggest mistakes. Because you will bring the person, you will invest a lot of your time trying to onboard that person because it's your personal responsibility that the person is successful. Right. And if that doesn't happen, not only you have lost a lot of time and money, you have also created a lot of disturbance in the system. Right. Uh, it creates a lot of demotivation. You lose six to nine months of business Easily. if you hire the wrong people. Easily. So biggest mistake is on hiding and throwing money on problems. Correct. I agree. So before I move to the next segment, yeah. which is more about uh, Esther and yeah. the other person, you know, in the beginning you spoke about, uh, you know, doing a nine to seven job and that yeah. got me interested because yeah. as a European, yeah. uh, to stay nine to seven, <laughs> when most of Europe is moving to nine to four, yeah. uh, was very interesting. Yeah. Is that a transition you made because you've come to uh, Asia or is it uh, that's how you are? I think that's how I am. I'm always somebody who likes to go the extra mile. Um, I'm always somebody who wants to do really well. Mm. So if I have an assignment and you know my boss has given me something to do, I'll always think, okay, what else I can do to add value? So I think that, and, and I've always loved, loved to work. Sure. I mean, I, I love every single opportunity that's been given to me. So for me, work has never been like, oh my God, I have to go to work. So yes. it's, it's, when I say nine to seven, I mean even weekends I yeah. don't work. And it's a, it's a normal thing. I, I understand. If I love what I do, I it's agree. not work. I, agree. I mean, I've just come back from, from Australia and I was surprised at 5 p.m. Yeah. The offices are empty. Yeah. Which is also fine. Mm-hmm. I think in my team, I have different kinds of people. Uh, there are people who are extremely efficient. Maybe I'm not as efficient. I don't know. There are people who are extremely yeah. efficient. One of my best performers in my team. Six o'clock, they're out. They have other things to do in their life. They have hobbies. They have things that they want to take care of. They have house uh, responsibilities. And they're outstanding. And they work nine to five, nine to six. It doesn't matter. I don't think time is uh, correlated to impact and result. Similarly, I have other uh, team members who just, you know, anytime during the day or the night, they're always connected, they're available. They, they're available. I think it's a personal choice. So what, what is the secret of your success? It's the success. I, I don't think I've... You have? Arrived to... I think it's still a journey. I think Hard every work, day. Uh, do you have any routines um, that you follow at work? Or? I think it's... It, it is a journey. And I'm still in that journey. So... Every time I learn something, I reflect about it. It helps me improve. I I am I am in constant seek of becoming better. So I think that's probably one area where that has helped me. I'm very practical, but at the same time, you know, I I dream big. I think that has also helped me uh, being practical. Surrounding myself with people who are very different to me has really helped me. It's been a struggle. Because as a, as a person, I'm somebody who doesn't like conflict too much. Mm-hmm. So surrounding yourself with people who are different uh, puts a lot of pressure on me because I need to align people. I spend a lot of time on 
making sure I'm listening to people. And at the same time, I also get that feedback from the team that, listen, you are the boss. Finally, you have to take mm-hmm. that call. So that combination between being the decision maker, but also bringing the team along has been a struggle. But that has also been the reason why we have been successful as a company. Interesting. Right. So I think these are two or three yeah. things that, you know, I don't know if, if it's about success, but has helped people and others become very interesting. You know, you, you, you work long hours, you have young children and you've lived in India. So there are lots of pressures on women at home, etc. How do you manage work-life balance? That's, uh, so we have two kids. So our yeah. uh, younger daughter is nine and our elder son is 12. Um, so they, they are born in a house of entrepreneurs. My husband is also an entrepreneur. So both of our uh, working times are very long. Uh, both of our lives are very pressed. Um, thankfully, somehow, you know, when when something is going on in people matters, my husband is there. When something is going on on my husband's uh, business, we are there. So that that helps balance, uh, balance a little bit. Uh, but there is a lot of stress in the house, mm-hmm. if I may say, which of course also affects our kids. So we need to be mindful about that. Uh, our daughter uh, is into dance. Uh, so she has a lot of extra yeah. activities. Our son is into tennis. So they have a lot of work themselves, plus exams and at home. I mean, my husband is South Indian, so doing excellent at academics is non-negotiable. So everyone is, is really a very high-performing individual at home. Um, I think what has helped for us is to give ownership and accountability to our children very early. Okay. And so it's always, it's a very coaching Mm. culture at home. Like you are responsible to your stuff. I'm here to help you to create a structure. Like our son has exams in three weeks. Mm. So it's okay. What what is your goal? What marks you want to get? How much time you have? How you're going to use the time? Do a schedule? You do it. You want to show it to me for input? Show it to me. But it's been, I think what has helped is really giving ownership and accountability to to both our children. And somewhere try to just be there Correct. a little bit. Correct. The entrepreneur life also allows you for that flexibility. Like uh, yesterday, my son was not feeling well, so I was home with him for a bit. Uh, my daughter had to practice. Uh, she has a football trial this morning, so I woke up early and I took her to the park. We were practicing together. So to me, it's about work-life integration. How do you figure out um, your priorities? And how do you just keep extending one and the other? And you know, it's never perfect. I agree. It's okay. And that also is a conversation I have with our children. Mm -hmm. That you know, sometimes I lose my cool. I'm sorry about it. You know, I'm under stress. The kids also need to know that we are not perfect. We are just human beings trying to figure things out. Absolutely. So I think it's a very, I don't know, it's kind of, I don't know how to define it, but it's it's a very, Distributed ownership. Work-life balance is everyone's job. Absolutely. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I endorse everything you've said because that's the way we brought up Asa. I agree. So my last question to you, and I love asking this question to all my guests. Uh, Tell me some of your biggest learnings from Mm. some of your failures Mm. or a learning from your failure. Sure. So I think one is, of course, what I share about hiring. Yeah. I think as an entrepreneur, sometimes you get very 
I don't know if desperate is the right word, but you get very enamored with somebody very senior with a great resume, wants to work with you because you feel that level of uh, maybe insecurity somewhere. And you'll be like, oh, this person is from this kind of company with this kind of experience. You know somewhere, somehow, the person is not going to succeed because of culture fit, maybe the chemistry is not right. So I think one of my biggest mistakes has been on hiring. Um, so, and I look back and I knew. So for me, a mistake is something that you knew and still you did. If you did something and it was wrong, but you actually did not know, to me that's not a mistake. That's kind of more like a learning. A mistake is something that you knew that you were doing something wrong. You were aware of it and you did not stop yourself. So for me, it's really on the hiring front. I think from personality development uh, point of view, one of my biggest learnings have been on being comfortable with conflict. I used to be very uncomfortable with conflict. And when you run a business, there will be conflict. There will be conflict with clients, there will be conflict with partners, there will be conflict internally with employees. There will be situations where you really have a conflict. Even with your own self, there will be conflicts. Just that I can still manage. <laughs> For me, conflict is more about, I am not happy if somebody is not happy with me. Mm. I, find, I find that very discomforting. So my immediate reaction will be to try to solve it. And some things need time. You know, some things can't be sorted right now. Some things may never be sorted. And you have to live with it, right? So I think for me, I don't know if that's a failure, but you know, in when I look back, there were things I could have done better if I would have just accepted that it's fine. We, we will live with this for now. And I'm not going to do something about it right now. And, and take that call and be fine with it. Don't feel anxious about it or don't feel um, discomforted about it. Because that just creates, I, I, in many ways, that creates a paralysis. That until I don't solve this conflict, I can't move on. Well, no. Right? Fantastic. Esther, thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been welcome. so, so honest and so frank in the entire discussion. Thank you. Thousands of people watch our podcast. I'm sure many, many people will come to your Singapore conference next year. So thank you again. And I'm sure I'd love to talk to you again on some other subjects in the future. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.